This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Monday, January 16th. The weather forecast for today, there'll be a bit of cloud this morning. Looks like clear skies this afternoon are high plus one degree. Here are the five things you need to know. Uh, Number one. A U of T student files a lawsuit against Toronto police. Number two, tributes continue to pour in for the late David Onley. Number three, the premiers demand bail reform from the prime minister. Number four, global outrage over Russian bombings of Ukrainian apartments. And number five, Blue Monday, the marketing trick that just won't go away. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Okay, so how did we get to Monday? seems like just days ago, it was 9.01 on a Friday, and uh, we were off and running and looking forward to a weekend. And I guess it's my own fault for not doing anything of any importance this weekend, aside from hooking up with some old roommates for breakfast yesterday. I don't think we got up to anything important. Now, well, maybe that's the whole important thing. It's uh, quite free. Quite frequently, people will ask me on a Friday as we finish the show, what are your plans this weekend? And I'll say my plan is no plan. And so, you know, maybe that actually is the best plan of all. But here we are on a Monday. And I appreciate you need to uh, get yourselves ready for a whole day. So let's dive into it. And uh, one of the things people are still talking about today, I realize the news broke quite late on Saturday, but on the weekend, you know, a lot of people unplug and don't pay any attention whatsoever. But uh, people still paying tribute to David Onley, the former lieutenant governor of Ontario. And I don't know what the circumstances of his passing were. I knew David and we had spent time together. I worked on a couple of documentaries, so we had very, very in-depth interviews. He was associated with uh, one of the charities that I do a lot of cheerleading for. Um, but I was I was not aware of if he was ailing or if this was sudden unexpected. And I guess we'll learn more in the coming days. I'd imagine probably at some point today, the province will reveal what sort of commemoration there will be for him. There are no funeral plans just yet. But the, the broad strokes on David Onley are that he was possibly the nicest person I ever met. And person after person after person will confirm that. And you have to remember, he began his career here at CFRB. So I was hearing from people who either came up uh, after him or uh, yesterday, Charles Deering was reaching out to me, who I think is like 96 years old and uh, a veteran of News Talk 1010, was talking with Dave Agar. But Dave Agar said, you know, um, our ages just or our careers didn't quite overlap. So I think I knew him probably on the job for a year. But the amongst the many stories that are told about David Onley are that rookies, he would always seek them out, even when he was finally a veteran broadcaster. He worked at City, he worked at CB24. And all these young people talk about how on their first day, he sought them out and told them, you know what, it's going to be okay. And if you need any help, I'm here to help. Um, But then he became the lieutenant governor. And actually, Nick, I don't have my sheet of audio in front of me, but 
um, I, I did several, as I mentioned, in-depth interviews, including sort of an exit interview with him. And hopefully we've got the right one here. He talked about sort of the aspect of the office that he was holding that leaves people impressed and sometimes, as I expressed, uh, intimidated. You used to work at CFRB. Yes, you worked I did. at CP24. Yes. So, you know, we're like colleagues. Yes, indeed. Except I'm intimidated by the fact that you are also the lieutenant governor. Well, I understand that, but I think part of what I've tried to do is is to demystify some of that. I understand from the outset the position is such that people are somewhat, in some cases, in awe of it or are, are just taken aback um, a bit. That's because of all of the people who've come before me and, and what they have done and, and what they represent. And I think ultimately it's a respect for the office itself, knowing that that person is the Queen's representative. David Onley passing away at the age of 72, and we haven't even scratched the surface of everything that he did to promote disability rights. But we'll give him his tribute today because I won't say, you know, people in politics and media often, my friend, David Onley and I weren't friends, but we did spend time together. And he was very, very good friends with some of my best friends. But um, it's just what a nice man, what an incredible life and career, and what a tremendous loss. So um, you would have heard Jess Kieran leading off the newscast with this story about a lawsuit that's been filed against uh, Toronto Police Service. This is a U of T student suing the police service for $1.6 million. And his mother is actually suing for additional damages because she said she also suffered as a result of this. And I'll be interested to hear what our pundits have to say about this today. At 6.20, we have the morning brief. Scott Reed is going to be here. 7.45, 8.45, we have our usual roundtables. And I find that, you know, in some circles, something like this is incredibly scandalous. In others, people are very dismissive. And I think we need to find um, a certain understanding that for black people and people of all people of color, the idea of being pulled over by police when you're completely innocent and everything escalating to the point where you're face down on the ground with a knee on your back and somebody's tasering you, that um, that is not a normal circumstance, but you know, a black person would say, yeah, well, stuff like that happens all the time. And non-racialized people will say, well, you know, it was mistaken identity and why didn't you just cooperate? Well, police are following you and you are, again, a completely innocent individual. And next thing you know, they're asking you, um, you know, they're, they're confronting you and accusing you of being somebody they're looking for when you aren't. You tell them they've got the wrong person. They end up one, two, three police officers on the scene. The third one just tackled this guy, uh, pushed him to the ground. All of this was captured on the officer's body cam. So this is gonna be one of those times where there's no uncertainty where when this goes to trial, they're just going to show the footage and people are going to be able to see how it unfolded. Um, but the young man in question, 27 at the time in 2021 on an August night, uh, he was pulled over when they finally went through his bag, which his lawyer also insists was um, an illegal search. They found his ID 
And they said, oh, you know what? You're not the guy we're looking for. Sorry about all that. Thanks. Good night. Yeah, uh, not good enough. So, as mentioned, he's suing for $1.6 I'd imagine the city will probably just settle out of court rather than have this go to trial. And hopefully, uh, not hopefully, but I imagine the city and Toronto Police Service would prefer that the footage never be seen publicly because it allegedly contains scenes of bad police work of three police officers who are still working for Toronto Police Service. Okay, and we welcome News Talk 1010's John Moore to talk about what Toronto's talking about. John, hope you had a great weekend. I did. It's nice to be here. Welcome to the airwaves as well, Jennifer, on News Talk 1010. Thank you. Uh, John, let's get into it. Um, a U of T student is suing Toronto police for $1.6 million after he was allegedly tasered. But I think what's concerning here is that there are kind of things, you know, very reminiscent of what happened to George Floyd. This happened in August of 2021. A young man, 27 at the time, and black, it should be noted, was just minding his own business when he was pulled over by one police officer in a case of what they concede now was mistaken identity. Very quickly, another officer arrives on the scene, and then a third officer, he is tackled to the ground. He ends up with a knee on his back, and then he ends up being tasered. They finally go through his bag, find his ID, realize that he is indeed the wrong man. They say, sorry and let him go. He is suing for $1.6 million in damages, and this is gonna be an interesting case to follow. Yeah, absolutely, very disturbing uh, to hear about. And and John, this next piece of news I learned about by going through uh, your Twitter feed, uh, you wrote something quite sentimental, but tributes uh, for the former Lieutenant Governor, the 28th one, David Onley, are coming in. David Onley passing away on Saturday night, and you're right, I was actually on CP24 yesterday morning to remember him. He was a remarkable man. I mean, incredible career as a broadcaster, worked at CP24, worked at City, worked right here at CFRB, and then became the Lieutenant Governor. Notable all through his life, he had a disability that he never hid, and so he became a very uh, vocal and visible proponent of disability rights, and also a tremendous friend to young broadcasters. So you you talk to a lot of people in their uh, 30s and 40s now who are in broadcasting, they'll talk about how David Onley would single them out on their first day on mm -hmm. the job and say, you know what, it's going to be all right. Anything I can do to help, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, he will truly be remembered for all his contributions. And uh, turning to this now, John, the mayor of Guelph is considering a new tax for mental health services, addiction sources, uh, something that many people have been calling for, especially post-pandemic. It's interesting as we go through these budget gyrations in municipalities, what special taxes are being conceived of. And Mayor Cam Guthrie says he's looking at a 1% to 2% tax levy on property taxes in order to pay for mental health. Now, this may actually be more of a stunt than anything else because he's actually decrying the fact that he doesn't believe the province spends enough on mental health. But it's an interesting aspect when you consider, you know, Torontonians have this 1.5% city building tax. And in place of that, the uh, people of Guelph would be paying for mental health services. Mm -hmm. All right, we'll see what happens there. But John, uh, some disturbing international news. I always get terrified when I hear about, you know, flights crashing, but at least mm. 68 people are dead, four people still missing in a Nepal plane crash said to be the country's worst. It was captured as well in its last minutes on video. You're right, 68 people confirmed dead, four are missing, and they're probably dead, but the search will resume with first light. But this was just a 27-minute 
flight. It was mm. a short hop, and something went terribly wrong with the plane, and it slammed into uh, in Nepal. A lot of the airports are in areas that are kind of tough to navigate and hilly. So, uh, you know, Nepal Airlines unfortunately have a fairly bad reputation for safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was shocked to know that the European Union has actually banned, you know, planes or airlines from Nepal. Uh, so very disturbing news there. But, John, we'll, we'll end off on, you know, something interesting. I've seen the photos of this, and I love it. I love when, you know, someone is out there and they're trying to just shake us out of complacency. But there is this guy called the French Toast Guy, and he's really bringing Paris to Toronto. <laughs> He's been seen in various places, mostly on the TTC, it would seem. He will sometimes set up a table in a subway car with linens, I might add, and cook his French toast and then eat it. He's also been seen in some stations. I have a feeling this is part of a some sort of a commercial operation, mm -hmm. but it's just one of those things in a big city like Toronto that can sometimes be so passionless that it's just a little bit of fun in a bleak winter. Yeah, absolutely, especially when people do everything they can to avoid eye contact on the subway. <laughs> Hopefully they'll be looking up for a moment to catch this guy. All right, News Talk 1010's John Moore. Have a great show, John. You can catch him 5.07 a.m. to 9 a.m. We'll chat with you tomorrow. Thank you. Jennifer Shung over at CP24. And uh, Ben, let's, if we haven't already, put up some pics of uh, French Toast Man on our social media accounts. Like I said, it's just a little too eccentric by half, so you have to think that it is a social media campaign and that we'll find out soon. Maybe it's for Smart. Who knows? But um, it, I, I think we'll find out very, very soon because it seems to have reached a certain critical mass. I saw a lot about it on the weekend. We're talking about it today on CP24 and on News Talk 1010. Maybe it's to get people out of the Monday blues. The Could be. Let's talk about Blue Monday for three nanoseconds, though, Nick, because, as you know, as a collector of all kinds of trivia and information, um, the notion is that this is, and actually, it's not even, it's, is this the third Monday in January? Because it seems a little early, this being the 16th. But the third Monday in January was named years ago as the saddest day of the year. And it's a combination of the debt from Christmas the lunch bag letdown of everything being so much fun at Christmas time, and then you're into January. And then the fact that there is this sort of sunlight deprivation that we're all suffering from. And all of those are very believable factors. And I wouldn't doubt for a second that people suffer from the January blues. But Blue Monday was invented by a firm as a means of marketing sunny getaways, sunny travel. And so... It's not even like somebody published a study that somehow tried to chart when do people feel the bluest or the most depressed. It was just a bunch of people sitting around a table saying, how do we sell Mexican vacations? So, um, you know, it, it is worth noting that I think people do feel down and sleep deprived and maybe the bills are coming in from Christmas. And so January ain't the funnest month. But at the same time, there is zero. It's kind of like the notion that Super Bowl Sunday is the worst day for spousal abuse. And again, that was hatched by somebody as a means of raising awareness about women and women who are abused by their partners. But it actually was a made up fact. But in the media, what happens is 
every year you get to certain dates and it's kind of a ritual. Okay, well, you go do the story about how tomorrow everybody's going to flush their toilet at halftime and also women get beaten. And of course, what happens? You, if you're assigned that story, you go to uh, an expert in spousal abuse or to a women's shelter. And of course, they would like to forward the cause of awareness and fighting against the you know, spousal abuse. So they're just going to keep on talking. They're never going to say, oh, by the way, they made it up. Yeah. And if anything could bolster the fiction of Blue Monday, it would be how good it felt this weekend when the sun came out. And I think I was reading that we went through 22 consecutive days without having basically any sunshine. And then this weekend, it came crashing through. I was actually having lunch with my ex-roommates, which is a long and delightful story. People always love hearing, how did you meet? Well, in the case of my two ex-roommates, they had already met doing some theater, but then they moved in together not being together, and then they ended up getting together, and then they got married. And then I was like, you know, in the bridal party, and that was 25 years ago, and they got two kids. And we sat together yesterday having breakfast, and the sun was just streaming in the window like a Steven Spielberg movie. And I thought, this is a pretty nice January day. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.37 is the time. It's minus 5 degrees, feeling like minus 9 on a day. I have to remind myself with the print version still until I memorize this. But a day where we're going to a high of plus 1 degree. So we continue to march along through the winter of 2022-2023 uh, above normal. We established the other day that the average temperature this time of year would be about minus 1.6. And that's just an average doesn't mean we wouldn't have ordinarily had a few days above zero. Um, but in spite of the fact that we had nothing but cloud for 22 days, we've also had almost nothing but positive temperatures. And that's a mixed blessing. Because, for, I, for example, I was just telling you about my um, ex-roommates who were in. They're in from Ottawa. And I said, has the canal frozen over yet? And they said, nope. And so here we are more than halfway through the month of January, and they haven't been able to open the canal in Ottawa for ice skating. And we're probably going to shoot past the point where it even makes any sense. Um, but, you know, I keep my eye on the website where they establish whether or not the canal is anywhere near freezing over because I've promised that if it does, I'll go to Ottawa because it's a it's a very, very satisfying thing to do skiing or skating down the uh, uh, the Rideau Canal. Uh, things to celebrate on a Monday morning in January would be that Canada's women's junior hockey team has won gold. Canada routing Sweden 10 to nothing to claim a second consecutive gold medal at the Women's World Under 18 Hockey Championship. The United States defeated Finland 5-zip to get the bronze. So that's Canada's men's team and women's team both winning. And uh, I guess our national hockey integrity or our national identity is still intact. Hearing from people about this story, we opened up the show with the young man who is suing Toronto Police Service for having been roughed up and tasered in a case of mistaken identity. And can we just get over I, I I appreciate it. There's going to be a certain cohort of people who are never going to get over it. I mean, people will talk about George Floyd and people say, well, he wasn't innocent. It doesn't matter. The punishment for not having a spotless record is not death. 
It's not being strangled to death by a police officer and having somebody kneel on your neck until you are dead. If anybody thinks that's good policing, then I think you need to have a chat with somebody, maybe a police officer. But then people also say, well, you know, white people get abused by police officers. I suppose they do, but you don't see a lot of footage, for example, of a white person running through a neighborhood and being shot in the back. You don't see a lot of footage of a guy who was actually running, decided to check out a property under construction, which is something that most of us did when we were kids anyway, and then gets chased down by two men again and shot. Um, there is an aspect especially, and this particular incident fits the profile, where there is an encounter with police and it escalates out of nowhere. Mostly because an awful lot of black people are mortally terrified if they get pulled over by police or if they get into, you know, if they get stopped on the street, if they're a pedestrian and questioned by police. And then the police officer says, what are you so nervous about? And then the person's like, you know what? You screw with people in my community all the time. So they say something back to the officer. Next thing you know, they're face down on the pavement. And whenever people say, well, why don't they just cooperate? Because the people who do cooperate also usually end up in trouble. So, you know, the, the sort of um, intolerance for the results of intolerance after a while can become somewhat wearying. And it's no wonder that activists in the community are like, screw this. You know what? You guys, you, you really are the enemy. I mean, I mean, Desmond Cole, when he deputizes about policing, uh, brings to the table the fact that he's one of who knows countless black people who have been pulled over in a car or stopped on the street. My favorite is always where, and I'm pretty sure Desmond recounted this happening to him, a police officer, you'll be he was walking with a white woman and a police officer walked up to the two of them, turns to the woman and says, are you okay? So imagine the presumption that you are dangerous at all times when you're an innocent civilian and it's because of your skin color and you're being followed around in the store because it's presumed that you must be shoplifting and on and on and on it goes. And I'm sorry, but for all the white people who write in and say, well, it happens to white people, not very often, not very often. So uh, speaking of law and order, Canada's premier is calling for a reverse onus on bail. They sent a letter to Justin Trudeau. There is a huge push for bail reform, but it is a problematic file. Um, we talked to a lawyer, I guess it was last week, and I just knew, no, it was the week before because I knew it was Jerry Bate, but Jerry wasn't here at the time because this lawyer was basically saying that everybody needs to get bail because you have to remember people are innocent until proven guilty. So, you know, don't tell me we need to lock everybody up. And I'm sympathetic to that reasoning. But at the same time, if you are arrested for assaulting a police officer, then I'm not sure that necessarily you need to be on bail so that you can then end up killing a police officer who came to your aid in a, in a snowstorm. Mind you, I also remember from that conversation with that lawyer, he pointed out that assaulting a police officer is a charge that shows up constantly on a rap sheet um, because it's just sort of, well, we were arresting him for shoplifting and he was being lippy, so we're going to add that charge. And, okay, worth noting. Um, so, yeah, it is problematic. And I'm not sure where this particular initiative will go. Because here would be 
you know, how, how I would approach it were I a judge. And that is you are discovered with a gun in a backpack and you say, somebody gave it to me at school and said, look after this. Okay, well, there's a lot of questions about that. And you may actually be a dangerous offender, but I don't think we can lock you up for a year and a half pending trial. Now, you end up with a gun in your hand in a bank, then maybe you can cool your heels and get time served after your conviction. Time is 544. We'll certainly talk about this and a slew of other good debatables on the roundtables at 745 and 845. On the weekend, you may have seen this story about um, the Russians dropping missiles on a Ukrainian apartment complex. At least 75 people wounded, 35 are missing. The death toll in this particular account or, or attack is 35. And I wish I could remember who asked this question. I think it was on social media. But they said, why are we not treating Russia like a terrorist sponsor state? Why are we not treating it like Syria or Iran or other countries that deliberately wreak mayhem and murder people pointlessly around the world? And, you know, while I know, again, it's the same small cohort of people, there are people who will insist, well, you know, uh, Russia's just trying to defend its border integrity and Ukraine has biolabs from the United States, which is not true. And Ukraine is, uh, has Nazis, which is also untrue. I'd recommend Adam Zivo's account this weekend about life as a Jew in um, Ukraine. So Russia is just raining terror and death on a sovereign country. And I'm heartened that the world seems to understand that we have to continue to backstop Ukraine until such a time as Russia is defeated and Vladimir Putin is either jailed or hanged. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. And that's the thing. The myth of Blue Monday is still a convenient opportunity to talk about mental health and to acknowledge that there are people who have issues in, you know, with the seasons. I don't have seasonal affective disorder, but I definitely miss not being able to do a lot of the things that I like to do. I'm a canoeer and a kayaker and a cyclist, and I love going for walks and ravines, and I realize I can put on a parka and a toque and do some of those things. But it's, you know, long days with uh, little light and cold temperatures can kind of get you down. So I hope you're feeling good on this Monday. And I think we can appreciate the opportunity to talk about mental health as we will here on Bell Let's Talk Day on the 25th, which is a week from Thursday. And also worth noting, Bell Let's Talk is taking a bit of a different complexion this year. And it's not going to be all about people hashtagging and texting and stuff like that. Bella's very simply set aside $10 million for mental health. And we're going to talk with a few people on our show, including revisiting Mike Shorman, who I've always found to be a very thoughtful person. Mike Shorman is a guy who's had his mental health challenges. He lives with uh, anxiety. And he's the guy who paddleboarded across all five Great Lakes, which is a... a a fairly significant accomplishment. 
I mean, it's it's an odd one, but have you done it? <laughs> I don't even like paddleboarding more than 25 meters offshore <laughs> on Lake Ontario. Uh, but we had a really interesting conversation the other day that we recorded that I'll play for you on the 25th about his challenges and, you know, how he steeled himself out up to uh, pull off that accomplishment. Rob Ferguson writes an interesting piece today in the Toronto Star. You know that statue of Sir John Macdonald? And I know our friend Joe Warmington's been writing about it as well. It was vandalized. I think it was somebody threw like a bucket of red paint on it. I don't think it was actually, it's not like the one in Montreal where they cut off his head. But it was vandalized. And they put boarding, first of all, they shrouded it in some sort of like a tarpaulin or something like that. And then they boarded it up. But it's been boarded up for a good long time. And now apparently there is a very real debate about whether or not to unboard it, take off the tarpaulin, clean it off, or if maybe it should be carted away to somewhere else. And the problem with Sir Johnny MacDonald, as you know, and we've talked about this almost endlessly on the show, was yes, he was Canada's founding father. Yes, he um, built the railway, made it run on time. Uh, no, made it rain, race against time. Uh, but he also was the guy who hanged Louis Riel and presided over the creation of residential schools. So, you know, you got to take the good with the bad, I guess. But if you were a an indigenous person driving up past the statue of Sir John MacDonald twice a day, which is something I do, uh, you might not be so excited to see him. So maybe you move it to a museum. Maybe you put up a plaque that explains the man's sins. But it is something worth acknowledging. I love talking about workplace issues, especially in the wake of COVID as we talk about the return to the office. And it's an incredible gyration we've been through because corporations four or five months ago kind of put their foot down and said, you must return to the office. And then workers said, I don't feel like it. And now corporations are like, okay, can we negotiate? And then you get into the idea that more and more companies are shifting to unlimited vacations. NBC News national correspondent Aaron Real is here. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning to you. Yes, the, the unlimited PTO is and paid time off is a thing that a lot of companies have just said, okay, let's do it if this is what's going to get them through the door. And while currently it's only 6% of employers offer unlimited leave, this is according to a 2022 study from the Society of Human Resource Management, this really high-profile addition of Microsoft, Microsoft Corporation, they're the latest to move in and, and set this paid time off on limited vacation. They they join Adobe, Netflix, Goldman Sachs. And it's a perk that sounds good, but the question becomes, who does it really benefit? And oftentimes it's the company, not the employee, um, which is hard to believe because on face value, you're like, no, this sounds great for me. But some of the pros real quick, it really helps with recruiting talent for companies seeking you know, a way to stand out in this very still competitive labor market offering this unlimited PTO is is one option and, and it seems to work. So a Glassdoor study in July, it found that employees and their employee reviews that mentioned unlimited policies, they were up 75% since pre-pandemic level, overwhelmingly positive. People like it. It helps fight burnout. The workforce has gotten a lot of attention and long-term productivity and employees' health is important, experts say. And, and so showing workers that they're valued, which can in turn 
improve morale, keep them engaged, that's good. You save money, actually, as a company as well. And that's because with these unlimited paid time off policies, you don't have to pay out these unused days when your employee leaves like they would for a traditional policy. So it actually creates a lot less administrative tasks. Now, the cons, real quick. Underuse. Employees, they, they fear they're overstepping. This is especially true in high competitive industries like banking. They, there's not enough guidance, so they don't take much vacation. There's also potential abuse. Um, you know, unlimited policies, they do open the door for this misuse. And if an abs- absenteeism issue becomes a problem, an employee may really burden their other coworkers, hinder workflow. I, I would imagine eventually you would just get rid of them, even though you offer them the policy if they aren't doing their work. I don't know how exactly that susses out, but that's another one. And then overlapping vacation. Everyone takes vacation around the holidays or in the summer. Those can be some pretty big issues. How do you feel about this? What do you think? Well, it's funny because I'm a guy who doesn't actually use his full vacation allotment. And it's not because I'm an oblate nun. It's because I think in this business, for people to wake up in the morning and have me away, you know, every other week probably wouldn't do me or this company any service. And it's funny, you're actually not alone. Most people kind of feel that way. And and this it, it turns out from the data, workers with unlimited and accrued PTO, they take about the same amount of time off per year. That's 11 to 12 days. And these are days, obviously, around the holiday, maybe a couple of days in the summer, and then whatever other day you need for health or family or whatever it is you need. But it comes out to about... 11 to 12. <laughs> That's the number regardless to if you have all the time offered or, or less. Those are the days you're going to need off annually. Aaron, thanks so much. It's a great discussion. Thanks. Have a good day. Aaron Rael from NBC Network Radio. And yeah, Aaron was saying the average person, even with an unlimited amount of vacation days, is taking 11 or 12 days. I have to think the average agreement with an employer would be 15 days. So people generally don't take all that they're granted. And just to revisit, Aaron was asking me how I felt about this. I just remember another morning man and I would wake up when I wasn't working morning radio and I'd think, is he away again? Um, So I never wanted to be that guy. And so I don't usually get to my usual allotment of uh, vacation days. And I know there's probably some people out there who think I <laughs> knock yourself out, take as many as you want. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.